Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Like some of our other recent episodes, this one has been on the back burner for a while. We first wanted to cover Chinese EdTech when Cross-Border Unicorn VIP Kid raised its last confirmed round of $500 million from heavyweights such as Code 2 and Tencent in April 2018, which was when we first started TechBuzz, by the way. That's because we had known about the company from its earliest days and thought it to be a fantastic example of the business opportunity in Chinese EdTech. But I think it's good that we waited a year, because the latest news about VIP Kid, at least, is that it's having trouble raising money. Although that's not true for the industry as a whole, because EdTech continues to fly high in China. Indeed, out of the 12 startup unicorns categorized as EdTech by CB Insights, eight are from China. This type of dominance is pretty rare. And we aren't even counting all the publicly listed Chinese education companies in the U.S., although it's true that most of them primarily operate offline and so aren't really ed tech, even if they do also offer online and distance education as well. Right, but who doesn't these days? In this episode, we are going to focus on one specific company in the edtech sector, VIPKED, but also K-12 English learning edtech more generally, with an emphasis on the tech, so very little on your education companies with traditional roots, like New Oriental, which is the $15 billion test prep giant from China that's basically twice as big as Pearson. New Oriental should sound familiar to old-time tech buzzers because it's also the original home of Luo Yonghao, the celebrity founder who has come up multiple times in tech buzz material, most recently two episodes ago in our deep dive on e-cigarettes. But he was first mentioned, along with many other now-famous New Oriental alumni, in episode 21 on Bullet Messenger, the self-proclaimed WeChat killer. I am guessing that this is the first, but definitely not the only time that we will talk about the edtech industry in China on TechBuzz, because it's like the last few topics we've covered, online brokerages, e-cigarettes, plastic surgery, and e-sports live streaming. These are industries that are thriving in China, but either aren't widely reported on or wouldn't work that well in other markets. Well, the English learning sector probably wouldn't work too well here in the U.S., but in China, it is still growing pretty quickly and is highly lucrative. And compared to some of the other sectors we've covered so far, it's far less controversial. Yeah, not everyone will agree on the benefits of vaping, but very few people will say that more education is bad for China, or anywhere really. But how does this social good actually translate into commercial success in China? Listen on for more. The president's key economic team goes to China. Uh, after whole night banking, I say I still want to do it.
We are Tech Best China by Pan Daily, powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. We are a bi-weekly podcast focused on giving you a peek into what's buzzing within the tech community in China. We uncover and contextualize unique insights, perspectives, and takeaways on headline tech news that don't always make it into English language coverage, so you can be smarter about the world of China tech. Tech Buzz China is a part of Pandaily.com, an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Ray Ma, and I will be in China next week. So please do reach out if you're in Beijing or Shanghai and want to chat. And I'm your other co-host, Yingying Lu. We'd like to acknowledge our partners, Deal Street Asia and Sub China, the creator of the Seneca Podcast Network. In addition to Tech Buzz, you can also find Seneca, which covers current affairs, Nui Voices, and Ta for Ta on women, the business-oriented China Econ Talk, and the Taishin Seneca Business Brief from China's leading business magazine. Speaking of Deal Street Asia, their annual private equity and venture capital conference, the Asia PE VC Summit, is set to take place on the 17th and 18th of September this year. Hear from market leaders and experts, and network with the industry's best over two days in Singapore. To register, follow the link events.dealstreetasia.com/sg2019. As always. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever other platform you use. We check these weekly, we promise, and we're always looking for feedback. Thanks to Kyren dot B for your recent review, and to all of our SoundCloud fans who share our episodes. Oh, and a quick announcement: we're going to be taking July Fourth week off, so the next time you hear from us will be in mid July. Today's episode is brought to you by the Trans-Pacific Experiment: How China and California Collaborate and Compete for Our Future. A new book out on August 13th by Matt Sheehan, a former journalist in China and current non-resident fellow at the Paulson Institute's think tank Macropolo. Matt is one of the smartest and most thoughtful voices on U.S.-China topics, and this book is going to tell you things you never knew about how intertwined China and California are, and how that's playing out in people's lives here on the ground. You'll definitely want to pre-order this book on Amazon. Go to our transcript for the link, or follow Matt on Twitter at mattshean88. That's M A T T S H E E H A N eight eight. All right. I think that before we really embark on a journey through China's edtech landscape for English learning, we need to point out some of the major differences between the Chinese and Western education systems. Some of you who are more familiar with China might know most of these already, but just bear with us while we run through some of the most salient and maybe shocking facts for you about education in China. So first things first, you might have heard us mention this already in previous Tech Buzz episodes that highlighted consumption downgrade or the emergence of companies that serve the lower-tiered cities in China and their lower-income residents. But overall, China is not actually a very educated country. I know, hard to imagine when there are over three hundred thousand students from China studying in the U.S. alone every year. Making up a third of the entire international student population here, and contributing a commensurate percentage of the tuition fees too. 
But the truth of it is that while 300,000 people is a lot, it's a drop in the bucket when compared to the 1.4 billion total Chinese citizens who are alive today. To make that more clear, when we count adults of working age, which is 25 to 64 years old, only 10% of Chinese people in this age group went to any kind of college, whereas in the U.S., that figure is more than a third. You wouldn't know it from some of the headlines that get published, but the U.S. really is significantly more educated than China as a country. The average Chinese person has only had 7.5 years of formal schooling. China is just a much bigger country. But the rate of education attainment is increasing. For Chinese people in their 50s and 60s, who came of age when the country was much poorer and going through internal strife, less than 5% got the chance to go to college. For Chinese millennials, almost 20% have college degrees. But that is still much lower than the U.S. average and lags developed countries in general. Which means, of course, that there is just going to be a huge growth in general purpose education in China. Yeah, that's the macro background, just so you understand the immensity of the opportunity at hand. But let's get into a few more specific data points. L.E.K. Consulting did a recent spotlight study on the Chinese edtech market and came up with the following conclusions. First of all, the education sector is heavily regulated, so it's not like you can just start launching schools in China. But you can roughly divide it into, you know, K-12, which is your primary and secondary, and the post-secondary slash vocational or professional education segments. So let's take the largest segment first, which is the K-12 test prep tutoring and extracurricular activities market, otherwise abbreviated as TTE. In China, this is a whopping $75 billion revenue market. But wait, ELT, or English language training, on its own is an enormous $18 billion opportunity. And what's more surprising is that 70% of this is for children, not adults. Out of that 70%, almost 10% is purely online, making a little bit bigger than a billion-dollar market, but one that has been growing at nearly 40% every year. So there are two things to unpack here, which is one, wow, the Chinese K-12 after-school education market is enormous. And two, Chinese parents are obsessed with their kids learning English. Let's dissect each one of them. So first, Chinese parents spend a ton of money on education. In one large-scale survey by the EdTech media platform, JMD, covering a dozen Tier 1 and Tier 2 cities, over 95% of parents spend over $1,500 per year on their children's education outside of school, with almost a third spending between $7 and $15,000, and a full quarter spending over that $15,000. Now recall that a pretty healthy salary in your 30s is something like $40,000 a year, and you can see how big of a sacrifice some of these parents are making for their kids. Yeah, the South China Morning Post had an even larger sticker amount for how much Chinese parents are spending on extracurricular tutoring for their kids. They claimed it was an average of $17,400. I think that they're probably only surveying Tier 1 city residents, though, because that would literally bankrupt families. Compare this to the U.S., where a recent survey by Capital One showed that, wow, 
About 20% of families plan to spend more than $2,000 on their child's after-school activities this year, and this was already considered a lot. And what's even more ridiculous is that a financial website estimated that a New York City family making half a million dollars a year would spend $12,000 per year on after-school lessons and activities. That would make them below average for a Chinese family. Okay, so maybe these comparisons aren't all apples to apples, but it's the closest we can get. And the point is that there is a magnitude of difference in the willingness of Chinese parents to spend money on their kids' education versus us here in the U.S. And out of that willingness to spend, about one-third of this money went to K-12 subject-related tutoring. So not music nor sports lessons, but like actual tutoring. Of those, English is one of the most popular, but by no means the only subject for Chinese kids to beef up their skills in. Math is also a huge business in China, especially before the government removed the additional points you accrue in college admissions for math-related achievements. Luckily, it's now moving towards a more balanced assessment system with a special emphasis on the arts. We'll have to go into math tutoring another day because it's responsible for propping up another set of unicorns. But today, it's all about English. Why, oh why, are the Chinese so obsessed with learning English? I mean, unlike in Hong Kong or Singapore, English is not actually used very often in daily life or in society at large. What it does have, though, is this outsized place in the education and employment system. In China, many kids start learning English in kindergarten before they start primary school, and in any case, by grade three, English classes become mandatory. You then study it throughout college, upon which passing the college English test, or CET, at a band four or band six, which is known simply as siji or liuji, is a prerequisite for graduation and for employment. Band four requires you to know about 4,500 words. So it's not that hard, and the speaking portion is optional. But still, this explains why, at least amongst the college-educated in China, quite a few people can read and write passably in English, but much fewer can speak it well. If you are an English major, though, you have to take a different and much harder exam to demonstrate proficiency. Now, beyond that compulsory requirement, there's just the fact that many Chinese parents want their kids to study abroad, primarily in English-speaking countries such as the U.S. Many of them want their kids to do so because they think the Chinese system is too hard and restrictive, and is just generally an unhappy place to be. But most of them know that being bilingual and foreign-educated means you get the best employment opportunities back in China, so that is their way to the top. And in China, it is incredibly difficult to rise to the top, because there are just so many people. Your chances of being admitted to any tier one university, not just like a Harvard or Stanford, but to any of the top 150 universities in China, are about six percent. And the real figure is probably lower than that, because let's face it, those with wealth and connections generally can find some backdoor in. Of course, it's difficult to compare across countries, as in the U.S. at least. You pick which schools you want to attend. Versus in China, it's one giant forced ranking system based on your standardized test scores that make you minimally eligible for certain departments at specific schools. 
So that 6% is artificially low, but still, it gives you some insight into the inherent competitiveness of the system and explains why Chinese kids often get the least sleep during their high school years. This is totally normal to study until nearly midnight every day, including weekends, with just one day off a month, maybe. In any case, studying overseas is such a big business these days that commercial banks have special products for wiring money to your kids or special credit cards that they can get as international students. And in recent years, one of the bigger trends has been to send your kids abroad earlier and earlier. A decade ago, only about one-fifth of all Chinese students studying abroad were doing so at the bachelor's level. The majority were leaving the country for graduate school. By 2017, however, these numbers were roughly equal at 40% each, with the remainder filled in by the high-growth segment of Chinese students going abroad before college, many for high school, but some even earlier in their lives. That group, by the way, has more than tripled in recent years for the top destination countries, which are the US, UK, and New Zealand, of all places. But let's also not overstate the importance of this group. While, yeah, many rich Chinese send their kids to elite boarding schools abroad, the top destination, which is America, still boasts only about 33,000 students from China. So that's not very many at all. That's because it's an incredibly expensive endeavor, and so it's only available to the select few privileged enough to consider it. For everyone else, it's just a far-fetched dream. So there we go. I think we've explained the Chinese propensity to spend on after-school education for children, and also the importance of English education, which is exactly where the addressable market for VIP kids sits. What do you think, Ray? Time to tell Cindy's story? Yep. The legend of Cindy Mi, Mi Wenjun, who is, by the way, only 36 years old this year, goes something like this. Cindy grew up in a small town in rural China, but somehow inexplicably took to English learning like a fish to water. However, she wasn't a genius at math, not like she was at English, and so after being reprimanded by her teacher for being quote-unquote the worst student ever for failing at doing some math, she felt so frustrated that she simply stopped trying and then eventually very vaguely, quit high school her junior year. And then she followed her uncle to the big city of Harbin to open up an English tutoring business called, well, what else? ABC English. She talks about her experience a lot. The teacher who made her feel so deflated that she quit school. And that's what got her so passionate about getting into the education space, because she realized how traumatic a bad teacher could be, and similarly, how impactful a good teacher could be. And that every kid deserves to be a VIP with a personalized learning experience. Maybe the story is true. Maybe it isn't, but at least it's totally believable, because in China, in most schools, except for the most experimental and progressive ones, that is, the teacher is the absolute overlord of the classroom, and their authority cannot be challenged. And there's a good portion of them, by the way, who take a very militaristic, regimented approach to managing their students. Yeah, we really can't emphasize enough the supreme dominion Chinese teachers have at school. 
If you are interested in just how the styles differ, we suggest you watch a BBC documentary called Are Our Kids Tough Enough? which featured an experiment where five Chinese teachers were sent to England to teach 50 ninth grade British students. The resulting cultural clashes were apparently super entertaining, but as one student put it bitterly, acting like robots was the way to go. We took a little detour to highlight this because it explains at least some of the appeal behind VIP Kids' very differentiated cross-border offering, which essentially asks North American teachers to tutor Chinese students one-on-one -on -one online. For most kids, learning from North American teachers are going to be very, very different from their typical classroom experience. That is, they can expect to have a lot more fun. Back to Cindy's story. After working as her uncle's right-hand woman at the family business for a decade, where they became, at one point, Beijing's largest children's English learning school, she wanted to grow even faster, but she couldn't convince her conservative family to take in outside capital. So she decided to part ways and go back to school. After fulfilling requirements for a bachelor's degree in English literature, she applied to and was accepted into the Li Ka-shing-funded CKGSB, or Chengkong Graduate School of Business, where she was exposed to a lot of unfamiliar and innovative business ideas and technology. Lots and lots of technology. Because this was Beijing in the early 2010s, and the startup boom was just about to commence. Armed with this new knowledge, she decided to re-enter the education market, but this time with a tech-based strategy. She would still focus on what she knew well, that was teaching kids English. VIP Kid would be founded in 2013. From the beginning, she designed it so that it was a distance learning program where teachers were recruited from overseas. And at first, she only looked for those who had graduated from elite universities like Harvard or Oxford because those teachers were so easy to market to eager Chinese parents. Initial users were mostly her classmates and investors' kids, which made sense because these people were often foreign educated themselves and appreciated the benefits of a Western education, but were too busy to teach their own children, many of whom did not enjoy learning English. Cindy felt that she had enough previous experience to be comfortable with the business model, with the only variable being if Chinese kids would take for foreign teachers. So she started off charging even her pilot customers, although she gave them back the credit so it was effectively free. But the product itself was never free, which was very smart. When it turned out that the kids loved their North American teachers so much that they didn't want to leave the classroom after the session ended, the team knew they had a winning product. Although honestly, who wouldn't? As we've explained, most Chinese teachers don't play silly games with you. You're crushed with homework and tests from grade one. A few other things about how VIP Kid works. VIP Kid makes up its own curriculum, but it's based on the American CCSS, or Common Core State Standards, which is a set of academic standards for what every student is expected to learn in each grade level, from kindergarten through high school. For VIP Kid, the focus is on the English Language Arts, or ELA standards, and the company has a staff of over 200 experts who have adapted it in a way to be most effectively taught to Chinese students solely using English. So basically, you're getting an American education from the comfort of your own home. Or so that's how the tagline goes anyway. 美国小学在家上, 
But is it that easy? Well, first of all, one of the main complaints is that in VIP Kids system, you don't get paired up with a permanent teacher. Sure, because the lessons are standardized and provided by VIP Kid, it technically shouldn't matter who's teaching as long as they're well trained. But many parents still think that a different instructor every time, or nearly every time, is very disruptive to their child's learning experience, and prefer instead their child to have a consistent teacher. And how much does it cost? VIP Kid rates average about fifteen dollars to eighteen dollars per twenty-five minute lesson, depending on how many you buy, whether a few months worth of lessons or more. And teachers, by the way, if you're curious, get about half of that, depending on performance and incentives. Most parents are scheduling three to five lessons a week, and this can easily run into the thousands annually. Pricing-wise, VIP Kid is up to fifty percent more expensive than many of the offline tutoring centers, but those tutoring centers often don't have true North American native speaker certified teachers. And for many Chinese parents, education is one of those goods that you're willing to pay a premium for. Only the best for your kids, right? And good thing too, because by selling these large upfront packages, VIP Kid gets good cash flow from which it has been supposedly funding its continued expansion. Although that might become more limited in the future, as the government has announced that lessons cannot be sold more than three months in advance. It's also a sign of your social status to be able to afford a foreigner tutor. It's not very politically correct to say this, but in China, nationalities and accents matter. People in China, above all, love American accents. I know. Thanks, Hollywood. And so, not just having a foreign tutor, but one from North America, and one that's gone to a top university—wow, that's a major plus for your social status. And is it that hard to become a VIP teacher? Well, maybe. Cindy has said in public that the teacher interview process is highly selective. Only five percent of interviewees receive offers to teach. That sounds a little low to me, but it is true that you can find many how-to videos on YouTube that teach you ways to ace the VIP kit interview. And we registered for the process just to get a sense, and it does seem very intense with many steps involved. But that hasn't stopped VIP Kid from recruiting an, an impressively large number of teachers, who, by the way, also refer each other like crazy, at something like seventy-five percent. From the early days, where Cindy had to personally go on social media to cold email and invite her first twenty teachers, VIP Kid now boasts over sixty thousand of them. I don't think they're all from Ivy Leagues, and indeed, not all of them are teachers by profession. Although it seems that most are, but sixty thousand is more than double the twenty-seven thousand North American English teachers that Cindy estimates live and work in China today. And these sixty thousand teachers are servicing over six hundred thousand paying students. Translated into revenues, by early two thousand and seventeen. VIP Kid was at over fifty million dollars in annual sales, and grew by six times to three hundred and thirty million by Q1 of 2018. However, losses are also widening, because despite touting an impressive referral rate, marketing has been very expensive and very much offline. A strategy, by the way, that has been blamed on Cindy's history as a non-tech entrepreneur. 
In fact, it's so expensive that in 2018, marketing was over 54% of revenues, which obviously contributed to the company's ugly negative 70% net margin. So it seems that the 70% customer referral rate VIP kid boasts is not all that astounding because a Frost and Sullivan research report says that the average referral rate for non-adult English learning in China is at 60 to 70%. And at least as of the beginning of this year, VIP kid said it's not planning to be profitable for a long while. Sure, 600,000 paying students is no joke, but the company estimates that it will only be profitable when it gets to 3 million paying students, meaning it's got to grow another five times at least. The company seems confident that it will be able to do so in the next three years, though, and so is asking for double its last round valuation with a target of $6 billion. Assuming the company grows at least 100% last year, which it looks like it was on track to do, that's about a 10x revenue multiple for calendar year 2018. That's not terrible, until you consider the fact that it might have lost a billion dollars as well, if operationally it hasn't learned to lower marketing costs. So to no one's surprise, Earlier this year, rumors abounded that the company was going bankrupt and was unable to pay for employee benefits, which, of course, it quickly denied. But further bad news came in the form of a harsh announcement from the Walt Disney Company, who denied any official cooperation with VIPKid, despite VIPKid having claimed deep content partnerships over the years with them. Disney, by the way, is one of the most valuable Western brands in China. And it has its own very successful English program for kids that's called Disney English that should be in the hundreds of millions of revenues this year. So it kind of makes sense that it wouldn't have established any deep ties with VIP Kid, who is ostensibly a competitor. Meanwhile, VIP Kid is presumably continuing to fundraise and to expand into further verticals. There's test prep for more advanced students, more collaboration with publishers for branded content, and there's also Mandarin education with, yep, you've guessed it, teachers from China. It's called LingoBus for those of you who might be interested in checking it out for your 5 to 12-year-olds interested in learning Mandarin. The target audience seems to be kids of Chinese descent living abroad. But I don't think you have to be. As an aside, we're super curious if the Chinese learning craze is as intense in your city as it is here in the Bay Area, where every parent wants us to test their kids' Chinese proficiency from attending bilingual immersion schools. Definitely tweet at us if that's the case for you, too. It's also putting an effort into data collection and analysis like every other tech company is and should be doing. But some of the applications sounded a bit strange to me. For example... It adopted facial recognition technology to rate kids on their focus, happiness, and excitement levels during each session so that teachers can better respond to their students and the staff can better adjust the curriculum. It seems kind of invasive, but some parents apparently really like getting a highlight reel of the lesson and a summary of their child's overall behavior encoded in scores. VIP Kid, by the way, has an incredible number of competitors, which we won't go into today, but in terms of scale for its particular type of cross-border instruction, it is by far the largest. And it's also seemed to crack the problem of keeping Western employees happy, 
Well, most Chinese companies have abysmal glass door ratings, VIP Kid seems to be liked by its part-time army of teachers. It's getting an aggregate score of 4.3. Yeah, again, while VIP Kid has fallen off the list of unicorn darlings recently, at least in the minds of Chinese investors and business media, it still seems to have a really good number of teacher fans here in North America. Makes sense. They're the employer, after all. Hmm, let's summarize for everyone what we learned today, shall we, Yingying? We learned that China actually ranks pretty low as a country in terms of education attainment. And on a percentage basis, only about 10% of working adults went to college. That's much lower than the one-third we see in the U.S., which creates all sorts of opportunity for K-12 and vocational learning. We also learned that Chinese people spend $75 billion per year on K-12 test prep, tutoring, and extracurricular activities, and $13 billion on English language learning for children, of which a little less than 10% is being conducted online, with most of the lessons done offline. We also learned that the reason English learning was such a big market is because not only is a basic proficiency in English required to graduate from college and to apply to most knowledge worker jobs, it also fits in nicely with the bigger trend of studying abroad at younger and younger ages, since bilingual returnees often get better jobs than those who've never left China. But maybe mostly... Chinese parents are just more willing to spend on their children's education because the school system is just so competitive. Depending on which survey you look at, the average number of dollars Chinese parents spend seems to be in the five digits, whereas the vast majority of American parents are spending just a few thousand dollars a year. And in stepped VIP kids Cindy Me. A spunky female entrepreneur who was a high school dropout that eventually made her way to a premier MBA program in China and got the idea to have North American teachers teach Chinese kids English using a proprietary curriculum. Although it's priced at a premium, the company is now generating at least half a billion dollars of revenue annually and has over 600,000 paying customers. That being said, it's not a given that the company will thrive despite having raised over $800 million from the likes of Sinovation, Sequoia, Tencent, and KOTU. The main reason is because its marketing costs remain astronomical. And one thing we haven't discussed is, will rising U.S.-China tensions affect VIP Kids' business at all? International student enrollment from China to the U.S. will certainly decline in the near future. And maybe less folks from North America go teach English in China. How will these forces interact and affect the K-12 English learning market in China? Let us know what you think. And as a reminder, we're going to be taking a week off for July 4th. So happy Independence Day to our U.S. listeners and happy Canada Day to those of you tuning in from Canada. We'll see you guys in three weeks. All right, that's all for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. As a reminder, episodes will now be available every other Friday instead of on Wednesdays. We really enjoyed putting this together, and we're always open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at ThePanDaily, at TechBuzzChina. My personal Twitter account is spelled G-I-N-Y-G-I-N-Y. And my Twitter is spelled R-U-I-M-A. TechBuzzChina by PanDaily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. 
Pandaily.com is an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Sha Wan and Kaiser Guo. Thank you for listening.